You are listening to the Willpower Podcast. Welcome to the show. I am Will Holdren, and I talk with some of the most influential CEOs, entrepreneurial leaders, and thought leaders to try and reveal the secrets that has led to their success. I believe that with the right knowledge and mindset, you can do anything you set your mind to. So if you want to learn how to change your life for the better, if you want to learn how millionaires actually became wealthy, or if you want to develop and start your own business from the ground up with the right knowledge to help you, then you are in the right place because this is the Willpower Podcast. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, if you have enjoyed an episode, then please, please open up Apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And if you think we deserve it, scroll to the bottom, select write a review, and leave us a five-star rating with a review that states where you are from and one aspect of the show that you love. Once you do that, send me a screenshot and I will feature you on a future show and shout you out on my Instagram that has over 10,000 followers. Now let's get to the show with our newest guest. How's it going, guys? My name is Will Holdren, and I'm the host of the Willpower Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, and I'm very happy that he is on here. His name is Ray Higdon, and Ray is a two-time best-selling author and a former number one income earner in a network marketing company. On top of that, he has shared the stage with some of the biggest names, such as Tony Robbins, Les Brown, and other really great names like that. So it's really an honor to have him on here. So, Ray, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Of course. So... To start off, I kind of want to go way back into your childhood. So can you kind of touch on your childhood a little bit, what it was like and how it kind of affected you? Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> when I was very young, I think three, um, my uh, parents divorced and I went to live with my dad and stepmom. And uh, it was a very, uh, it was in a very abusive home. My stepmom was very abusive physically. And so there were days where I was going to school um, wearing a turtleneck because the claw marks on my neck were so bad. There were times where, um, you know, I was having to tell my teachers that I ran into a door because uh, I had a, you know, black eye or bloody nose, and um, and it was it was tough. It was a tough upbringing. Um, one way that I coped with a lot of the feelings of not being, um, you know, of having low self-worth and, you know, not feeling like I was worth much is I coped by um, working really hard and always trying to prove myself. And so throughout my entire life, if, you know, Haterade literally was my Gatorade, um, because if someone doubted me, that just, it just lit the fire inside of me so that I would go and prove them wrong. And to a degree that's good, uh, but to another degree that can be bad because if you, if you succeed at proving people wrong, eventually you run out of people that doubt you. And so then you lose your fire and then you go seek doubt. And so um, it's been an interesting journey for sure. Um, I've been able to help a lot of other people by helping myself and learning my mechanisms and my programming and what, um, you know, what my patterns have been. And by understanding that, it helps me to understand others. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that is a very uh, unsettling childhood for sure. 
Um, but kind of coming out of that, like when you were younger growing up, do you kind of look at the world like, okay, this world is, I feel like, I feel like the world is just against me right now in my life. And you talked about how you turn that hate kind of into your work ethic and how you push through that. Um, so would you say that kind of from that mindset of, okay, this world is kind of against me, like I'm turning that all into my passion. I'm going to really work really hard to get over that hump. So how did you kind of learn to do that? Because I think a lot of kids, they come up with that mindset as well. Like, okay, this world's against me. I grew up in poverty. My parents are abusive. Like, how do you kind of tell them to get over that? So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because to, to understand why you're doing things, you have to be an observer. And I wasn't an observer until probably my mid twenties, maybe let's think about this. I can actually calculate this. No, I was probably 30. Um, so what does it mean to not be an observer? Right? So <clears throat> when you're not an observer, you're an autopilot. Hmm. Your autopilot programming is based on experiences you had as, as a young child. So if you were betrayed, you may operate in a manner of waiting for the shoe to drop, waiting for this person to betray you. Wait, you know, if you grew up in a, I really wish, you know, my, you know, parental figure or whoever uh, showed me more love, but you weren't shown that love, then you may go through life seeking proof that you're unlovable. But that is not an observation. That's, that's you, you run your program and you don't know you're on a program. So I was on a program of uh, a, a couple things. Um, one, um, I'm not, I'm not worth it, right? So I, I had low self-worth issues. Um, two, you'll betray me. And that comes from in the third grade, I had a teacher that um, knew something was going on and had me start meeting with a guidance counselor. And so I started, you know, I don't know what's going on, but I, you know, I start meeting with a guidance counselor and um, I, you know, she's asking me all these questions about home. I, I share them with her and it kind of feels nice to actually talk to someone about, you know, the different problems I was going through. And then one day I show up for our meeting and my dad and stepmom are there and she shares every single thing I ever shared with her because she thought that they were so crazy that I was making them up for attention. And so that one was a very bad day and two was the day I stopped trusting anybody. And so since that day, um, I was on an autopilot program of keeping people at distance. Like literally if I may, if I had a close friend, I would figure out ways to screw it up so they couldn't hurt me. And, but not, but all of that was autopilot. I didn't know what I was doing. I legit thought that they betrayed me or they, you know, didn't like me or, um, and so it's first, you know, looking at your patterns and understanding that the constant is you. So looking at your patterns and asking yourself, like, why, why do these patterns happen? You know, what, what is causing this? And that's when you become an observer versus being an, on autopilot. And right. autopilot isn't even the right term because you're really auto passenger because your programming is so, you know, it's going to make a left turn. It's going to make a right turn. It's going to, you know, create this conclusion. It's going to draw this decision. But you don't have any say in the matter because you don't even know why it's there. 
And so the observer is looking at your emotions and looking at the conclusions you're drawing and saying, does this serve me? Is this accurate? Or or do I have conflicting evidence? And and so I would say the best thing that you can do, you know, for yourself, um, the two things is one, focus on what you want and spend more time focusing on what you want and that future version of yourself versus the addiction to who you currently are. And then number two, start to observe, you know, what's going on when you have that, whatever that feeling is that, um, shame or resentment or anger or, um, feeling betrayed or, um, jealousy, like, like ask yourself, where, where's that coming from? And where have I had that before? And, and start to, you know, draw different conclusions. And there's, you know, there's, there's different books out there that can help with that, uh, and different resources and obviously different therapists and, and different coaches that can help too. Right. Yeah. I definitely love that. And how many times do people draw conclusions in, in their own mind, like you were talking about that simply aren't true just because they just put them in there. Right. So you right. see that in the business world all the time as well. Um, so, so kind of moving on in your life, like what was your high school career like, and did you end up going to college after high school? So, uh, high school was interesting in that I, you know, when I started, I, so when I came, when I came, I, I, uh, up until the age of 12, I was in Indiana and, and I came down to Florida. And so my seventh, eighth and ninth grade years, I was, uh, picked on and, um, you know, kind of bullied and, and I also, you know, I, I wore glasses, which, you know, the kids up north had made fun of me for, and some kids in Florida made fun of me for. So, you know, I kind of, you know, felt like, uh, you know, I was a loser. In 10th grade, I started hanging out with different people. First, I changed my self-image by getting contacts. And so I started feeling a little better about myself with that little, you know, shift of self-image. So I started hanging out with people a little differently, started um, partying, right? Started, you know, drinking and hanging out and, and stuff like that. And that just got more intense every year. Um, the spring break, my sophomore year, or maybe junior year, I think sophomore year, I don't know, sophomore or junior, I moved out. <laughs> and so I lived in a party house and we partied hard. Um, my senior superlative, which is appropriate because I didn't graduate on time was party animal. And I don't think you should be awarded that if you do graduate on time. And, uh, and so I was a mess. I was doing drugs. I was, um, you know, in a rough crowd, but I, I always, um, share that when I say I was in a rough crowd, I was the rough crowd too. So it wasn't that I was just this innocent person, you know, around a bunch of roughnecks. I was roughneck and I was getting into fights and I was, you know, that senior year dealing drugs. And, and so I did go back to summer. I did go to summer school after my senior year of not graduating on time. And I lasted a day and I'm like, nope, because I was still partying. So I, I left there and then I went back. I'm one of those five years, which is nothing to be proud of, certainly. And I went back that fifth year. And at that point, I had stopped hanging out. I'd had a, a pretty tough experience where I, I um, you know, just, just had a bad experience and I just had stopped hanging out with everybody. 
And I just went there, took care of business. And I think in a quarter of the year, I finished, you know, what I needed. And so I did actually get a high school diploma. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely a lot of stuff that happened throughout high school. Yeah. And just like you're talking about, you definitely got in with the wrong crowd, doing the, some of the wrong things you would say nowadays. Um, so at that age, like, how did you realize that, okay, I need to turn away from doing these kind of things. Like it's not the best direction for, for my life. Like at what point did you realize like, okay, I'm done with this. I need to go a different way. I remember it vividly. I was, uh, living with, uh, a couple dudes. I had lived in a couple different houses, all, all party houses. And, and I was living in this house and, you know, I remember waking up in the morning and I looked in the mirror and I just hated myself. I just hated it. I just hated who I was. I hated that I hadn't seen my mom in like two years. I, I just, I just couldn't stand myself. And I'm like, you know what? That's it. And that's, that's the day I stopped hanging out with all of them. I went, I went home and I got to get myself away from all that. I got three jobs. And so I just started work, 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 work. And I filled, you know, filled my life with work. And, um, you know, that, you know, I'm still every once in a while I'll see, um, you know, one of my high school, you know, people I used to hang out with and, you know, they're all, they're always cool. Right. They, they'll say things like, you know, that they're proud of me. I had one guy, um, this guy, Matt, he posted on, I posted something about my past on my Facebook page and, uh, and he just kind of randomly commented. He goes, yeah, man, you know, when we used to hang out, I, I seriously, I thought you'd end up in a casket or in prison. And, and that was very accurate. You know, I was, you know, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was the ringleader, but I, I was a lunatic, you know, I did stupid things and, um, you know, all of it was a fighting for significance. How do I, how do I feel significant in this planet when I have such a low self-worth? And, and so, um, that was, that was high school and a little bit beyond. Gotcha. Yeah, well, it's super good that you had that tough conversation with yourself that you needed to have. And obviously that turned you in the right direction then. And so after that, you got a couple jobs, started working really hard. So what point then did you start to venture into entrepreneurship? Yeah, it was, there was a move. There were two big moves that, that pushed me in this direction of having the courage to become an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of times people don't talk about this. Like they talk about how they became an entrepreneur, but they there's you'll always find steps before they've had the courage to become an entrepreneur. So the two steps for me is one, I was working at a, a county, uh, working for a county government here in Naples, Collier County, and I was a project manager. And my boss said, "Hey, um, you know, Wednesday, I need you to do a presentation on your the project you're working on." And I'm like, a presentation? Like, what, what do you mean? And, and so like at that point, that was, that was probably 2003. So whatever that means, uh, I don't know, whatever. Um, and so like that was 2003 and, and I'm like a presentation and she's like, yeah, you know, just get in front of the group and just, you know, kind of share what, and I'm like, oh my God. And, and that terrified the living hell out of me. And so I didn't sleep the next three days. I went to the library. I got like speaking for dummies and, um, and I'm reading this and, and I read 
I think two or maybe three books in the next like three or four days trying to cram on how to be a better speaker. And one common thread throughout every single speaking book I read was if you screw up, they won't know it. And so I really rested upon that. I'm like, hey, oh, this is great. And so I prepare my presentation. And by the way, this is in front of seven people that I've worked with at that point for five years, four years. And so it really shouldn't be a big deal. It really shouldn't. But I had such, still such so low self-worth that I just, I felt like, and I didn't know this at the time, but looking back, it's absolutely true. I felt like I was the stupidest person in the department, but I just worked hard. And so if I'm presenting, they're going to find out how stupid I am. And that's really how I felt. And so I go, I do my presentation. Um, it sure doesn't seem like it goes well because I develop a stutter. I spill water on myself. Um, I, I, I just don't, I don't feel very good about it other than that I finished. Like, I'm like, sweet, you know, it's done. Thank God. And so afterwards, my boss, Maggie, pulls me into her, her office and she's like, oh, you know, shut the door. And I shut the door and she goes, Ray, um, are you on drugs? And I'm like, ouch. <laughs> like, like, that really hurts. Like, and it really hurt too because I so looked up to her. Like she was like, she gave me a chance when people weren't giving me a chance. And like, I, and I, I so respect, I mean, still respect her. Um, I so respected her. Like she was like a, almost like a parental figure to me. And, um, and it hurt so bad when she said that. And so I remember I was out in the parking lot and I got my hands on the steering wheel of my, you know, crappy Hyundai Sonata. It was a forest green Hyundai Sonata. Just, you know, not, not the greatest, whatever. Uh, and so I got my, my hands on the steering wheel and I'm like, I'm just not going to come back. Right. I mean, they're, I'm sure they're all making jokes about me and I'm sure that I'm the laughing stock and now everyone knows I'm an idiot and I'm just not going to come back. Well, I really didn't have much of a choice because, you know, I was getting a pretty you know decent salary. I was probably at that point making, uh, I don't know exactly, but maybe 45,000 a year, maybe 50,000 a year. And, and I got two kids at home. Right. And so I really, that really isn't an option, but I considered it. And, but I went a very different direction. And so I go, I drive to the closest college, which at the time was international college. It's now called Hodges university. And I go there and I said, put me in every class I have to speak. And they're like, what? And I'm like, you know, if I have to speak in front of the class, put me in that class. And they're like, well, that's usually the last class people take. I'm like, fine. And so they put me in public, you know, public speaking. They put me in critical thinking. They put me in something else. And so I start that journey of building that muscle that I was really afraid of. And so that was the first step for me to have the courage to become an entrepreneur. The second step was a few years later, maybe two years later, I think, 2000, no, 2004, but a year later. A year later, I realized that, and I had, I had you know, climbed the ranks a little bit more, so I was a couple positions above where I was the year before. And now, I mean, I'm making like 70 grand a year, which, you know, for you know, someone no college, didn't finish high school on time, I thought that was pretty good. And, and so I'm at 70,000 a year, and I realized that I just don't like it. It's not great. And... And so I'm like, you know, 
I need to challenge myself. And so I applied for uh, to work at an insurance company, which in government, very rare for you to see someone get to a decent salary and ever leave. Like they'll literally stay for 30 years and get their retirement. And, and so I made the leap to go into private sector and go into insurance, which everyone was like, dude, they could fire you like tomorrow. Right. And in government, you, you literally have to steal things for you to, for them to fire you. I mean, there's really no other way you get fired. And, and so I make that leap. That was 2004. And those are the two things in June of 2004, I met a, a, a guy that worked at that same insurance company and we decided to start investing in real estate. And so um, that was my first real stint into being an entrepreneur. I had sold things on eBay. I had, you know, I'd done that kind of stuff, but that was my first real thing was real estate. Gotcha. Well, looking back on the story now, it's kind of got to be funny to you, the whole speaking thing. Now that you're regarded as one of the top speakers in the world, you spoke with like Les Brown, all these really high names. That's got to be funny to you. And the, the lesson I hope people get is I get accused all the time of people saying, well, yeah, it must be nice to be a natural speaker. I'm not a natural speaker. I had to build that muscle. I was terrible. I mean, I remember in a speech class, my that first semester of, of college, I remember I do this presentation and and so I just like I memorized the whole thing in my head, word for word. And so like like here, you know, here's the audience. I'm looking up here, I'm like, and then this happened. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm not looking at any notes. I'm just kind of like doing this. And at the end, I'm like, okay, I'm done. And the teacher was like, what was that? And the class started cracking up. Like it was literally like, I'm like, oh, she's like, oh, like whatever you just did, just just don't do that. And like, that's laughing at me. And and so like it was not an easy journey. I think most people would have been like, screw this. Um, but I just knew that. I didn't know exactly what, but I knew that something was behind that fear that I, I was meant to do. And so I, I kept pursuing it. And now, you know, the largest audience, the largest live audience I've spoken in front of was 26,000 in uh, Louisville. But I probably, probably five or six times I've spoken in front of 10,000 people live. Yeah, that's got to be scary. But like you said, like it, it took time to get there for sure. For sure. And secondly, did you take college classes just so you could speak better. You didn't actually get a degree or anything. You just took a couple of classes. Yeah. <laughs> That's also funny. So, yeah. I mean, I, I had, you know, in fact, the last job, the last two jobs I had required a bachelor's. I didn't have a bachelor's and I didn't lie about it either, but they just, they're just like, okay, you can do this job. We know you don't have a bachelor's, but we see your work ethic, you know, the stuff let's, let's hire you. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I was already at a you know decent salary when I started college, but it was, it was for the sole purpose of learning how to speak better. I enrolled in Toastmasters too. So I was doing, you know, both and just trying to get better. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so fast forward now, you're doing some real estate in your life. And I'm curious because obviously, you're known for your network marketing and helping other people become really good at network marketing. So at what point in your journey did you jump into network marketing? Did, like, did your real estate business go south? He's like, okay, I'm doing network marketing, or how did that go about? So I first got introduced to network marketing in 2006. And at the time, I was very focused on real estate. So I'm you know, doing pretty good in real estate. I'm 
know, flipping a lot of houses. I have rental properties and, you know, I'm, make, I'm making good money. So when I was first approached about network marketing, I thought, I'm not doing that rinky dink network marketing. And then a lady showed me, she go, you know, she's like, well, I'm making pretty good money. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, what does that look like? And she's like, well, I make 8,000 a month uh, passively. And I'm like, you make 8,000 a month passively. I'm like, come on. And like, like I just, I just didn't believe that. And, and so, because at the, at the time me and, and my partner, we had 37 rental units and these were, you know, you know, duplexes would be two, triplex three, uh, single family one. And so we had 37 rental units. And if they cash flowed a hundred bucks a door a month, then that was good. Right. So, you know, we probably weren't making, you know, 3,700 a month, but we were probably making maybe 3,500 a month, maybe, maybe somewhere between 3,500 to 4,000 a month. And I know how much work that took. I know that I'd had my life threatened. I'd had a gun pulled on me. I had, um, I remember driving down the street cause they were all in low income areas driving down the street and they're like, Hey partner, Hey partner. And they're like chasing me and I'm this, like, and, and so I knew, I knew what 4,000 ish a month looked like in real estate income, at least to my knowledge. And there's other ways to do it obviously. But when she was like 8,000, I'm like, dang, that's, and like no one can slip and fall, like no one's suing you, like like this this is kind of crazy. You don't get threatened at gunpoint, like this is amazing. And and so I got into it, but I didn't understand it. So I got into it as just a salesperson. I mean, I just I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell this stuff. I'm gonna sell the dream, and I'm gonna sell the product. And that's that's kind of what I did. I didn't understand duplication. I didn't understand leadership. And and so I made a bunch of sales, but never really made much money. And I had a falling out with, you know, some of the others in that company because one, they weren't very good at coaching and two, I wasn't coachable. So it was, it was a perfect storm of we just ain't a fit. And so I'm like, I'm never doing that remarketing again. And I, I did try a bunch of other companies too. And, you know, same, same, not so great, you know, track record in 2008, things started to really change for me. So none of my deals are closing. And like, I'm like, yeah, we're waiting on financing. And I'm like, man, what the heck? Like nothing's closing. Now all my money's still going out. I'm paying mortgages um, right. paying for advertising. All this money is going out. No money's coming in. And a few months into that, it's like, okay, I'm like depleted. Like I, I don't have any money and, and no deals are closing. I have no money. Uh, my partner's like, hey, dude, I got to go back to the job. And so he goes back to a job. I'm on my own. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like, what am I doing here? And so I literally drain all of my finances trying to keep these things afloat, uh, was able to sell a, a couple of them, shockingly. Um, but I get wiped out. So I end up in personal foreclosure. I end up going through a divorce. I get very, very depressed. At one point, I'm sleeping on my buddy's couch. And my credit shot. I'm dead broke. I'm chased by bill collectors. Um, that, you know, the house is in foreclosure. I'm over at my buddies cause I don't know when they're going to come get me. Right. And, and so I really didn't know what I was going to do. And a friend reached out to me and said, Hey man, uh, I'm doing this new thing. You should come over and check it out. And I knew what that meant. I knew that that's code for network marketing, which yes. I worn off. I didn't want to do it, but I also looked at what the hell are my options? 
no one's hiring, my credit's shot, I'm out of money, out of the 10 credit cards I had, two of them haven't realized I'm not paying. So I have two credit cards left. The other eight are like, dude, you're cut off. Like I can't, you know, I remember like a moron going to a club and I'm in the VIP room and my credit card declines. It's like, oh, I'm an idiot. And so this guy invites me, my buddy Chris invites me to this meeting and I see it and I'm just like, you know what? I got nothing else. I got nothing else going for me. I'm going to make this work. And I just like, you know, like uh, just just like made a decision. I am going to make this work. I don't know how. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going to make this damn thing work. And I was it was just more out of anger of I'm sick of feeling like a loser. I'm sick of being sad and I'm sick of being depressed and drinking heavily. And I'm like, I'm going to make this work. And so um, there were three things I did every day. Uh, I'd read a book called Go For No. And so that made sense to me. So I went for 20 no's a day. I hated prospecting. Uh, I wanted to get people to reach out to me. So I started doing a video a day. So on July 15th of 2009, I started doing a video a day and I've never missed a day. <laughs> so I'm a little crazy. Over 11 years, I've done at least one video a day. Most days, more than one video. And, and then number three was self-development every day, which um, in the beginning, I'm broke. So I'm going to the library, rereading Think and Grow Rich or watching YouTube videos, which are you know, sometimes free is the most expensive option because they kind of send you in circles. Um, nowadays, I have several very, very high-end coaches and I invest, I've invested over six figures a year in my education since 2013 or 2014. Wow. And, um, and so now, you know, things are, are very different. Those three things helped me become the number one income earner in that company. It took me uh, about five months, four and a half, five months to get to 10,000 a month. Uh, month seven, I'm at 50,000 a month. And um, then I go on to become the number one earner. I make millions in that company. And a lot of people wanted to know how I did it because I mainly use social media back then. And nowadays that's like, well, yeah, you know, that's what everyone does. Back then that wasn't the case. Back then you were kind of the black sheep if you were using social media because you're supposed to be belly to belly. You're supposed to be face to face. And, and, you know, I did, I did that. I, you know, I didn't shy away from doing home meetings or anything, but I mainly did it and was known for doing it on social media, which back then in 2009, 2010, not a lot of people were doing it or didn't know how to do it. And so I taught a lot of, of today's leaders, you know, how to do it years ago. And, um, and so, you know, that's kind of, you know, we retired from actively building uh, a network marketing team. When I say we, my wife and I, we got married today's or this year is our 10th year of being married. And okay. um, yeah, thanks. And so, you know, we retired from actively building a team in 2016. So we have, we coach and train. Um, we just spoke at a company event this weekend. Um, we speak for different companies. We coach different leaders and, uh, and help reps too. That's awesome. And just, Viewing your story, it's absolutely incredible how every time your back was against the wall, you decided to get up and go even harder on the next spot, next opportunity that came across your desk. And I love that. And that's really the true spirit of an entrepreneurship. Um, and then eventually, like you said, he fell into network marketing. And so one thing that really stuck with me is 20 no's a day because I'm in network marketing as well. And 20 no's a day, that seems like really hard. And one of the things that definitely like is hard for me, and I'm sure it's hard for a lot of people, is just getting rejected by people that you know. Um, and how they're going to think about you. So kind of going off of that, 
how did you kind of learn to go over that feeling and get over that and just say like, okay, my dreams come first. I don't care what anyone else thinks about me. How did you learn to get that mindset? Yeah. I mean, part of it is in the approach, you know, um, I, I, I think a lot of people approach people as a, oh man, they'd be really good. I really need to get them. And, and I, all I did was I changed my energy to be, you know, I'm going to do it. Let me see if they're open. And so my line for people that I knew, because it was a little different for people that you don't know, but for people I knew, I said, listen, I'm doing this thing. I'm going to do it with or without you. I'd love to do it with you. If you're open to it, great. If not, no big deal. And I really meant that. <laughs> and if they said no thanks, I'm like, cool, no problem. Hey man, I gotta go, but let's catch up later. And that's, you know, I'm just a freaking machine. You know, I, I, you, you could have had a heart monitor on me, and it wouldn't dip at all if I got a no. I mean, just whatever. All I'm doing is I'm just seeing if you're open versus trying to close you. And that's the difference energetically. So if you're constantly trying to close people, then that wears on you. I mean, it wears on your adrenal glands. It wears on the fibers of your soul. It's just like exhausting. And But if you're just seeing who's open, hey, are you open to taking a look? No, all right, not a big deal. Then it's really not a big deal. And, and so there were many people that with that approach that were attracted because we're always attracted to people that are up to something. So, you know, we're attracted to Elon Musk. He's going to Mars. He's going places, right? If Elon was like, yeah, man, you know, I did Tesla, man, you know, it's cool. I, I did cool stuff. Enjoy the cool stuff. Everyone would lose interest. Everyone would be like, yeah, man, he was great. They'd say was great, right? But because he's going somewhere, like that's very attracting to people. So you always want to be going somewhere. And uh, and, and too many people, they, they're, they're not going somewhere. They're... Um, hey, I really could use you to go somewhere, right? It's like, you know, I really need you to go somewhere with me. And it's like, no, 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 I'm going there. If you would like to hop in, awesome. And if not, that's fine. I'm still going. That's way more attracting than trying to close somebody, trying to convince them. And, and so I just, I just had that energy. Um, and, and, you know, going for no is it actually helps you uh, get over that that rejection energy because it's it's like an accomplishment, <laughs> you know. If you so if you have I got to get twenty no's a day, then each no is actually an accomplishment. Hey, I'm closer to being done for the day, and so it, it's it's just a different way of, of thinking about it. Um, and to date, I only know two people that have for an extended period of time gone for twenty no's a day. Both became million dollar earners. Wow. So that's the secret right there. It, it takes work. I mean, it takes work, you know, because 20 no's a day is not 20 non-responses. I might, you know, I might have had, you know, I had a lot of non-responses. That's not a no. So someone not returning my call isn't a no. Someone saying no is a no. Like, you know, hey, are you open to take a look at what I'm doing? No. All right. That's a no. Hey, did you, hey, did you get a chance to watch the video? Yes, I hate it. I never want to do it. All right. That's a no too. And so like, you know, just classifying enough. And, and if you go for that, it forces you to get creative and reach outs. You know, once upon a time, you know, I have a friend, uh, Taylor, who, you know, back in the 80s, you know, she was building a business and to hit her prospecting number, she would go to the grocery store, pile her kids in a grocery cart, 
push it around the grocery store and prospect till she hit her number, unload the kids, go home. Now, you don't have to do that nowadays, right? We, we are more connected to more people than ever before, but we're also more chicken. And so we're afraid to send the message to Instagram people. We're afraid to send it to Twitter people. I mean, I, I, I recruited people on, oh my God, um, Twitter, YouTube, TripAdvisor, MySpace, Facebook, of course, uh, Instagram, of course. Um, there's just so many places from news group forums, from real estate forums. I mean, there are so many online places and offline places. I recruited my sons when my sons were in uh, middle school. I recruited the crossing guard, you know, the guy that would stop the cars. I'd be like, hey, man, uh, you know, you do other stuff outside of this. You know, like, I mean, I, I just recruited people from everywhere because I had to hit my goal. So when you become a heat seeking missile of I'm addicted to my activity, not the market's response, then you get results. You have to get results. And no one hears my story and says, you know, 20 knows a day, video a day and self-development every day. Oh, can't believe that worked. Yeah, of course it worked. Yeah. What everyone knows it will work. Yeah. Well, they do it. That's, that's the question. And it doesn't have to be 20 knows because most people aren't lunatics. It doesn't have to be a video a day because most people aren't psychopaths. Um, right. If your goals are psychotic, if your goals are lunatic level, then you better do lunatic level kind of activity or you're not going to get them. Right. And I definitely like that strategy. It's definitely less pushy when you word it that way. Yeah. Um, and another fear that a lot of people have their network marketing, okay, people are going to look down on me if they realize I'm in this company. So from your perspective, after everything you've done, have people ever looked down on you now that they know you're network marketing? Um, in the beginning, for sure. Right. I mean, I, I so many people talk trash about me. Um, oh, it couldn't happen in real estate, huh? Hey, did you hear he's in a pyramid now? And I mean, so many people trashed me. I mean, I, I was I was a part of this real estate organization and, and I was one of their speakers. And so for years, I spoke for this organization. And when I, I went out on my own and then joined network marketing, they're literally sending emails to their entire database bashing me. <laughs> like, like, like thousands of people. And people would call me and be like, dude, you see their email? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I saw it. And like, what are you gonna do? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm gonna succeed. That's what I'm gonna do. Like, I didn't rebut them. I didn't say, mm, recently someone sent an email hating on me. Like, like, who cares? I went and got it done. And now some of those people, like if I look over the years, some of those people that made fun of me who didn't know I knew have asked me if I'm hiring. And I saw a meme like that and I just cracked up because it's so true. I had people that made fun of me, people that said, oh, yeah, he's doing this now. They're like, hey, man, I hear you're doing really well, man. You're hiring. And I'm like, man, I remember you. And so, yeah, yeah. And and here's the thing, you know, everyone wants to get to a point of, you know, uh, a point where people are thanking them and heralding them and lifting them onto the stage and, and all that stuff and interviewing them on podcasts. But you can't make it to the thankers without going through the haters. You are going to get hated on. You have to, because as soon as we start pecking outside of our order, as soon as we start rising above, you know, who we have been, you have to be attacked. That's just the way it is. You have to be. So you always know if you're playing big or not by the amount of haters you have. If you don't have any, then you're playing so small, you're flying under the radar. And, and that's fine if you don't have big goals and you're just looking to, you know, be comfortable or, or whatever. But if you want to grow, you're, go, you're going to have to put yourself in a place where there's a risk of uh, rebuttal, a risk of negativity, a risk of trolls, 
you know, I, I mean, I get trolled every single day, every, every, literally everything I post ever, someone is hating on. And, you know, there's anti-MLMers out there. There's, you know, whatever, right? I, I find that the people that know me the least are the ones that hate on me the most. And, and that's fine. You know, I, I, I can't take that personally. And I think, you know, one thing that helped me with this, I, um, you know, I saw a, uh, I saw a video of, um, um, Jimmy Fallon, right? Jimmy Fallon, is that his name? Yeah. yeah. Jimmy Fallon and Brian uh, Dennehy from Breaking Bad. Isn't that his name? Right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's his name. And so they did a video, a comedy video about hats. And they're like, small hat, little hat, rah, 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 right? And it's just all about hats. It's a cute video. And I just so happened to look at the comments. I'm like, oh my God. People are like, you guys should die. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, so like, you know, you know, think about their level of celebrity and like they make a hat video and they have death threats. I mean, you know, and, and one thing to understand about haters is they never go up. Okay. Never go up. So no hater ever go. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Never go down. I'm sorry. No hater ever goes down. They, they go up. So millionaire politicians only pick on billionaires, right? They're like, yeah, he's too, he's too greedy. And, and millionaires do not go around trolling on people that aren't millionaires. They don't, they don't go around. And are there funny examples of celebrities that do wacky stuff? Sure. But in general, people don't peck down. People don't troll down, right? They troll up. So when they see you as a higher, you're reaching a higher status, they want to pull you down. They see you lower status, they don't bother with you. Because, you know, they're, they're trying to gain significance by making you feel bad. And so that's a choice. You can choose to not allow them, you know, to make you feel bad. So when someone drops a, a hate message on me, I, I typically like it. Because it's just, just like, cool, I'm playing big. Good, good, check. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I freaking love this conversation right now because I totally am going through what you're exactly describing right there. And that's a true mindset of a champion, what you're talking about. How go for the hate because that means you're actually doing something that's Yep. making you being noticed and i love that and you know just being in network marketing for like a couple months like i totally relate to that especially in college or other kids like, like what are you doing you know what i mean so i can totally relate to what you're saying um so before we run out of time i just got one more question for you so kind of looking at your future five years from now like what are some of your big goals that you really want to get accomplished yeah so i in a, in a meditation um i had a vision of having different communities around the world, um, and this—they may be physical. I'm not—I'm not sure yet. Um, but um, having communities around the world that that we will help drive doing acts of good, and acts of good meaning uh, you know random acts of kindness, uh, teaching. You know, there's a lot of organizations out there that need more real teachers. You know, like uh, you know foster care. Uh, which we work with, um, you know, Boys and Girls Club, which get, you know, kids off the streets. Um, and so, like, I, I, see, um, I see that, first of all. And my biggest purpose, which I've really recently discovered in the last, like, year and a half, is to help people overcome their past trauma so they can live into their potential. And it just so happens that a lot of hurt and, um, you know, people who've been through trauma 
come in through network marketing. And, you know, network marketing is the lowest risk, lowest overhead way for the average ordinary person to start a business. So it makes sense. Some of the people that have been through massive trauma may not may not have the the self-worth or the um, courage to start a restaurant, right? A couple hundred thousand dollars or a franchise, right? Um, but, you know, they, they want a better life and they see that vision through network marketing. And that's where, that's where we come in to give them not just the information, but also the emotion of, of what will help them get over their past stuff. And, you know, what will, what, what do they need to do, right? The standard prospecting, follow-up marketing, you know, all, all that stuff that everyone, you know, asks for, but also that emotion of what's preventing them from being consistent, what's preventing them from playing bigger. What's, you know, why are they allowing their spouse to bring them down? Why are they allowing their friends to, you know, openly make fun of them? You know, you, you teach people how to treat you. So how do, how do we help that part, which is a, a, a much less served area, um, but it's an area that I feel called to. That's awesome. That's a really great mission. I guess that debunks the theory that all network marketers are bad people. So there goes that theory <laughs> for sure. I mean, it's, you know, collectivism is a very deadly way of thinking. So saying all of anything is good or bad is a very, it's just not good, you know, and that's, you know, politicians have used that, you know, for forever to, you know, decrease freedom, et cetera. But um, collectivism is, uh, you know, is a, is a terrible way to think. Not all lawyers are bad. You know, not all network marketers are bad. Not all, not all rich people are bad. Not all poor people are virtuous. And so um, I'm just a big believer in individualism and that you're held to the merits of what you do and um, not what you intend, not what you think, uh, but what you actually do, right? That's, that's how you should be held. And, um, you know, not what your ancestors did, but what did you do, right? What are, what are you responsible for, good or bad? And so, yes, I agree with that statement. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So before we head off, is there anything else that you would like to say? And if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Yeah. I mean, I'm on most of the social medias, I believe. Um, so we, uh, if you're a network marketer, um, one thing that you may like is um, we have a five-day uh, prospecting power-up series, which is you know free. Uh, you can you know grab it for free, and that's at uh, Higden, higdengroup.com forward slash five day, the number five D A Y, and um, that'll show you how to figure out prospecting on social media. Um, in the last three years, we've helped network marketers bring in over three hundred thousand new customers, seventy-one thousand new reps, and achieve fourteen thousand rank advancements. We actually track our group called Rank Makers, and uh, we teach you some of that in that that five day prospecting uh, series. That's awesome. All right, guys, there you have it. Ray Higdon, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No way that we go is a one way street. Nothing that we love is a one day key. And if we gon' do it, we gon' do this now. And if we say we gonna, we gon' hold.